Hi folks, Curtis Shelburne here, and welcome to the Focus on Faith with Curtis Shelburne podcast. A good place just to be and breathe and hang out for a while as we share some words about life in Christ. And that's all of it, I think. Life, that is. The good, the bad, the fun, the sad, the deepest joys, the toughest sorrows, all of it. I think we're going to have a good time, and I hope you enjoy this. I hope you tell your friends about it, and I hope you come back. It is very possible that you have never heard of the Focus on Faith with Curtis Shelburne podcast. That's partly because this is a very new thing. This is, in fact, episode six of six, and I'm kind of surprised we're already up to episode six, but I'm glad you're with us for this little sixth step on a road that I hope takes us on a long and joyful journey. I do know it will be a better journey because you're here. This episode, episode six, is called Ode to TP. Well, that's a strange title, isn't it? But more to come on that in just a little bit. These are strange times. Well, I told you when we began these that I would tell you a little bit about me. I wear a lot of hats, and I like that. That's one of the fun things about being me. I'm a pastor, a writer, a singer, a record maker, an editor, a copy editor, an audiobook narrator, a husband, a father, a grandfather. Whoa, I love that one. And best of all, a child of God. I like telling stories and sharing life, and I do hope that some of the stories and anecdotes and experiences we talk about on this podcast, you might be able to resonate with as well. One of the things that I enjoy doing the most is singing. Boy, when we were kids uh, at home, my family and I sang a lot together. And I know you might as well tell kids these days, yeah, we, we lived on Mars. We, we uh, commuted to earth occasionally, but we really lived on Mars. And so we spent a lot of time singing together. Well, we actually did spend a lot of time singing together. There weren't as many balls to bounce. And Jim and I proved to uh, my younger brother and I, there were, there were two families. That's another, another story. Mom and dad had three children, and then waited 15 years and had two more, uh, 15 and 17 years. And I was number four. I had the best birth order in the world. I was the first of the second family. Basically, all Jim and I had to do was stay out of jail. But I was number one of the second family, number four of the entire family, which meant I had a lot of the blessings of being one of the pink babies, you know, but still had a lot of the fun, too, of being the first of the second family. And I won't even talk about the quality involved, but Jim and I both consider that mom and dad waited a while to get it right. You know, that it took 15 years to discuss the things that they had done wrong and then to go ahead and, and have the two of us. And, of course, I tell him that although uh, he tells me I was quite a surprise to mom and dad, and I have no doubt of that, I don't think they would have thought of him if they hadn't needed a little companion for little Curtis, which leads me to say, and not to put too fine a point on it, he was created solely for my satisfaction. He never has felt that way. He never has shown me the proper deference, but we've had a good time, as you can tell, along the way, and I sure am glad, I really am glad they decided to bring him aboard too. And I'm very happy indeed that they chose to bring me aboard, though I don't know that there was a lot of deciding and choosing that went uh, into the whole thing, and that's enough of that. Anyway, 
It's been a good run. What I was going to tell you, though, is that we did stay home occasionally and sing at times. It was really kind of an amazing thing and such a blessing. Dad and Mom, uh, Dad was a bass, Mom was an alto, so we had the, the low genes all the way through there, and we were all kind of kind of low down in that regard. But we would pitch the songs to a very low level, to a key that the original writer would not have uh, even contemplated uh, those songs being sung in. Dad would strive manfully onward on the tenor, and as Jim and I got older, especially as I got older, uh, Jim's job was mainly to fidget. It was hard for him to sit still uh, during the whole experience. But as I got older, I would pick up the bass, and early on I'd sing alto with Mom, which is how I learned to, to follow the notes. My brother would pick, one of the brothers would pick up the bass, or my sister, my sister certainly would usually sing either alto or soprano, most of the time soprano, because we needed a soprano, even though she was a great alto. Mom was really the alto of the family, except my sister-in-law, Nita, who was a great alto. And when Ruth and B were home from the mission field in Africa, that's another story. Ruth was a great soprano, but B also sang bass, as did Jean. And so anyway, we put all this together and we sang together. I grew up singing. I grew up taking music lessons. Mom and Dad put us into some piano lessons with Mrs. Mary Elizabeth Wilson, who was a great teacher. And I began to learn how to play the piano and also some great music theory that wasn't fun, but was well thought of. I'm glad she made us learn some of that. It's been a blessing to me all the way through. And then we were learning to sing at church. We even had a music evening on Friday evenings, most of my growing up years, where we sang. And I was learning to sing at school, and I'll tell you more about all that later, but had choir in junior high, a great teacher, Mr. Gigi Radke. He was amazing. Had a great teacher in high school, Frank Frisbee, and then went on from there. And, you know, if you couldn't sing or if you didn't want to sing, well, I just had the wrong childhood. I learned to love music early on. And then I was called into the office at church one evening. We had been doing some singing, and three guys called me in and said, Hey, why don't you sing this with us? I didn't know it was an audition. It was. And I began to sing with the Psalms 4 Quartet, and that's another story. And so music has always been a part of my life. A while back, I started doing some more recording. I've done a little bit over the years, not a, a whole lot, but some. And I decided it was time to get serious if I was going to get more serious about it. And so I did. And in 2012, I recorded a CD called A Place of Grace. I told you a little bit about that in a recent podcast. And we did, that was a, a tracks album. I paid to be able to use tracks that had already been created. And then I did the vocals. We did that in Amarillo, and that was a lot of fun. And then later I did a Christmas album. Went to North Carolina, did the instrumentals, did all the vocals in Amarillo. That was a lot of fun. And then most recently, I did an album in Nashville where we did the instrumentals and my vocals all there. My daughter-in-law, Amy, sang with me. She's done duets with me on each of the albums, and I love that. And I've talked to you a little bit about that already. But those albums are available, and we're working on a new one right now. Those albums are available at my website at www.curtisshelburn.com. I'd love for you to go over there. You can listen to a sample if you'd like. You can buy individual tracks if you'd like. You can download the whole thing and buy it digitally, or you can order the actual physical albums. 
Also, of course, this podcast is available over there, as well as the Focus on Faith blogs that I write. All of those things and some more things are over there at the website, www.curtisshelburn.com. There's an E on the end of that, .com. And I'd just love for you to check it out. Well, who would have thought that toilet paper would occupy such a big place in so many of our minds these days? We're getting past it a little bit. We're getting better now on the great toilet paper shortage. But one of the things that nobody saw coming in this pandemic, and there are a lot of things nobody saw coming in this pandemic, was a toilet paper shortage. Good grief. Some of the stuff that happened had to happen, but really a toilet paper shortage. And so all of us have discovered more than we wanted to discover how precious that stuff really is. I'll tell you a story sometime about an old uh, outhouse that my grandmother and granddaddy Key had at Robert Lee, Texas, the old home place there that was there for many, many years. I never used that outhouse in its uh, original capacity, but it was there for a long time on the property. And evidently, as the story goes, it eventually wound up as the guest of honor on top of the high school bonfire before their homecoming game one year. And so that old outhouse really left this world in a sort of a, a very auspicious way. Anyway, back to TP. During the pandemic, I really, I, it seems like I must have had too much time on my hands. But one day I found myself during the middle of the great toilet paper shortage upstairs in a bathroom that I had just renovated. That is another story. And I had my phone, you know, most of us, some of the best cameras we have these days are our phones. And I had my phone and I found myself shooting a picture through a cob, a toilet paper cob a roll to the commode, which on top of the commode was a almost empty roll of toilet paper with a little bit of the toilet paper draped down. The, the lid was down, you understand. So you kind of need to see that. The picture is through the cob, which gives an interesting tunnel sort of effect. And what really took the time was writing this poem, which I entitled Ode to TP. I think that I shall never see a roll so lovely as thee, too soon gone to be sure, too little loved, now you're rolled off, wiped off, too soon flushed off. Oh, the indignity of COVID-19, had thou, O oh, Corona V, but spared our nation's derriere, methinks ye could hardly be one sheet short of scarier. But on ineluctably we unroll, Undefeatable, yea, verily, enthroned porcelainarily, high but not dry, and well nigh, indeshatsheetable, we sit pondering that which is sadly depletable. OTP, weep we, oh dear TP. Well, that will move you to tears, I think, on several levels. But uh, anyway, there you go. Ode to TP. The coronavirus has moved us all to do some weird things, hasn't it? I hope it moves you, and I hope the time that we're going through right now, that maybe this is a good time for something like a podcast to come out. I hope as we're doing some things differently, learning how to do some new things, changing some old ways and all of that, 
maybe if you're not all that familiar with podcasts and you haven't been listening to that uh, great little avenue of auditory pleasure, I hope that this might be a good time to get started and get in the habit. And I would love it if you would get in the habit of listening to this podcast. I'm so glad that you are today, and I just greatly appreciate your taking the time to be with us. And now, let's focus on faith. Well, I said that the title of this podcast would be Ode to TP, and that's fine. You know where that came from. The actual original title of what I want to share with you right now is One Thing is Still Marvelously Full and Free. I didn't intend any rhyming there. I was not working on TP at that time, but TP does become involved in this. Do you remember Andy Rooney? I still miss Andy Rooney. Where's the old curmudgeon when you need him? Curmudgeon, there's a good word, and I would be surprised if in the dictionary, near curmudgeon, it just doesn't say, see, Andy Rooney. Rooney's commentary at the end of 60 Minutes was always the cream of the show. Speaking of dairy, I still thank him for pointing out that milk that a cow would claim is just 3.2% fat. 3.2%. That is 1.2% more fat than 2% milk. Now check me on that and be sure. I don't want to wreck your diet. I don't want to destroy your cholesterol. But if he's right, well, I know I, believing that he's right, have never touched 2% or skim milk since, at least not on purpose. After his death in 2011, five weeks after his last television commentary, number 1097, the man has been irreplaceable. Go to commercial at the end of 60 minutes. As far as I'm concerned, it's over. One of my favorite types of Rooney commentary came when he'd speak over a desk strewn with a variety of items and discuss how consumers were getting ripped off. I thought of him today as I reached again for the toilet paper. Again, who would have thought that toilet paper would occupy such a place in our minds? Quite a memorial. Our minds is not where it was meant to be. That toilet paper roll was one of those big fat ones. The package promised more sheets per roll, and darn well should. If toilet paper gets any more expensive, it'll be cheaper to use dollar bills, and that has become even more true since the coronavirus. But more sheets rolled up on the roll or not, I think that I've uncovered a nefarious plot to filch consumers. And all of this happened before the great toilet paper crisis. You reach for that roll, even before the pandemic, and you would find that it rattled around side to side on the TP roller. Why, pray tell? Because the roll is at least an inch narrower than TP rolls used to be. So, less total toilet paper. And I'll bet you dollars to paper perforations that the price did not go down when the company went to narrower rolls. I'll call the roll. I call it skimpy, even if it's fat. Oh, they need to be called out on that. How badly we need Andy Rooney. And I suspect the companies would give more moving speeches about their heartfelt concern for the environment and whatever than you could even begin to imagine 
they would say they're saving trees. I'll believe that explanation at exactly the same moment I believe that hotel chains' primary motivation for wanting to wash your bed linen and towels less often is their desire to help, quote, save the planet. I'll believe it when the skimpy roll sports a lowered price. Not going to happen. We pay the same or higher prices. We get less product. I'm not usually much of a conspiracy theorist, but I smell a toilet paper conspiracy. I'd be tempted to suggest we all go back to using Sears catalogs and outhouses in protest. Our forefathers were incredibly conscientious about such recycling, but you can't find Sears catalogs. And as I mentioned, you can't even find outhouses now. The only one that I've ever been personally rather attached to went up in flames. I think the TP narrow-gauge ripoff is the TIP of a much larger pattern of skullduggery. Have you measured a frozen corn dog lately? They've been bobbed. Same price, less dog. And research shows that since 2006, most ice cream manufacturers have gone from a full half gallon, 64 ounces, down toward 48. If I'm paying money for what is already mostly air, albeit wonderfully sweetened and flavored, I personally want 64 ounces of it. And we're getting really serious now. Coffee. It used to be that we got a pound of coffee, 16 ounces. And then it went down to 13 ounces. And the last time I checked, it was, where in the world did this figure come from? 10.3 ounces. And count your saltine crackers, fewer per package. And check out peanut butter jars. Well, they're not really jars. They're plastic, whatever. That's okay, but are they the same size? Not really. Notice the indentation in the bottom. In a wine bottle, that's called a punt, P-U-N-T. And there are, if you look it up, a number of good and plausible reasons for that. Only one reason I can think of for dents in peanut butter jar bottoms, and it's not positive. Candy bars? Shrinking because of the company's overarching concern for the health of overweight consumers. Right. Products shrink. Prices stay the same. Feel the hand in your pocket? It's not yours. Oh, I miss Andy Rooney. One thing is still marvelously full and absolutely free. The riches of God's grace. And that you can count on. Well, again, thank you for joining us in this Focus on Faith with Curtis Shelburne podcast. I'm so glad you chose to join us, and I hope you'll come back and spend some time with us again. If you like it, why don't you tell some friends about it? Sure would appreciate it. Have a great day. <music>